So if you were not with us last week, we began a new series for the summer. Ten weeks this summer, we're going to consider the subject of a robust view of redemption in life. And so this morning, having introduced that subject last week, um, this morning we're going to begin with a biblical world and life view and an understanding of worship. Worship is being central to the Christian life, but that it, like everything else, everything else around us, is broken. It's all broken. Now listen, we introduced that last week, that everything around us is broken. And as soon as church was over, the Patricks got in um, two vehicles and drove to Hilton Head for vacation, where it was apparent to me that everything is still broken. So half of our family um, got sick, got uh, some kind of uh, cold or whatever. Um, and so everybody's, you know, struggling a little bit. Patrick's are broken, right? The Patrick's are broken on vacation. Um, we go for walks in the morning. And this was really, this was special. I had new eyes to see families with little children on vacation. We're used to having been the family with little ones. And the hard work, right, Mom? of going on vacation and replicating life away from home. And I had eyes to see it like I never had. When we would get up and go for a walk, and this family of six on bicycles would buzz by us, and, and one bike has got a bad seat and a bad wheel, and somebody's crying, and, and, and Dad is... This is not my family. I mean, I'm watching these other people. And Dad's trying to talk to someone on the bike behind them, and... And they can't hear each other, and they're snapping at each other, saying, we'll talk about it when we get back to the house. And then kids on the beach, precious little children, crying their eyes out because of you fill in the blank. And at every turn, there was mom, sometimes dad, just trying to hold it all together, right? Uh, there were more episodes of brokenness with TVs not working and cars not wanting to, to operate correctly. But everything is broken around us. And we're not surprised by this. We're not supposed to be surprised by this. So we have a view of this world and the people in it being broken. And we should never be surprised when that brokenness shows itself in our bodies, in our lives, in our families, in the workplace, at Walmart, at the gym, there's brokenness all around us. So what are we to do with that? Well, last week we saw that we're to be agents of redemption. God is calling His people to address, to redeem broken things. And so I introduced the language or the concepts last week of fixing broken things, being a mentality for Christians in this life, or making things better as we live in God's world, because this is our Father's world, and we are His children, and He would have us take His image, His likeness, His redemption into the earth. So this morning critical, pivotal, first piece 
of our worldview and our place in it and our dealing with our brokenness is the subject of worship. Redeeming broken worship. And the passage I've chosen to, to get us started on that subject is Psalm 146, verses 1 through 6. So give your attention to God's Word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the Maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Let's pray together. Lord, would you take your word now, help us to understand it, help us to rightly apply it. Lord, do more than teach us new things. Work the truth of those things into our daily lives. That is our prayer. And we make it in Jesus' name. Amen. So three simple points uh, this morning on this subject. And, and probably all of you know these three things already. My intent this morning is not to tell you anything new. Though maybe someone here will hear something they've not heard before. My intent, as I just prayed, really is to help massage this truth into our thinking and our living. So with that in mind, the first of three things is this. We, that is human beings, were created to worship the one true God. Now that's not new information for you probably. Yet you and I struggle to live according to that every day. There's a theologian and scholar who popularized uh, the, the concept, the understanding of humanity of human beings as being primarily worshipers. That that's what we primarily are. He said this, man is regarded as homo sapien, thinking man. But first and foremost, man is homo adorans, which is worshiping man. So you remember kids from science class Homo erectus, Homo sapiens. This theologian proposes that that's all true. But first and foremost, what we are, are worshiping creatures. That's what we were made for. That's what God created us for. We are Homo adorans first and foremost, Homo sapiens second, and Homo fabar third. Homo fabar is the fabrication, the creative, making gifts that humanity has. So we are those three things. Those three things are what it is to be human. But first and foremost, we are worshiping creatures. We are worshiping creatures because that's what we were made for. Isaiah chapter 43, 
verses 20 and 21. The Lord says, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So there in Isaiah, the prophet, the Lord speaking through him, gives us the Lord's own understanding of why he created a people. For them to praise him. The whole concept is people were created for the worship of the one true God. And in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, the language for worship is very similar. Old Testament and New Testament, the language for worship is the language of bowing down, making oneself low, humbling oneself, or literally prostrating oneself. That is to lie down and to lie before the one true God who you worship. So that's the, that's the imagery, and I want you to capture that. Prostrating oneself, getting low, laying down, lying down before the holiness of the creating God. I don't know if you prostrate yourself very much. Um, it's not a physical part of our worship in, in, in the Presbyterian Church in America, but maybe it should be. When we lived in St. Louis many years ago, back in 1995 or 6, uh, we had no children, but we did have a dog, a dog named Mo, short for Missouri. And uh, we were told by some friends at the seminary that a really good time could be had uh, in the evening if you drove out to the airport in St. Louis. So there was a nice spot where you could view the planes coming and going. And so one evening, that seemed like a good cheap date. And so I took my bride out on a date, and we went to the airport to go watch airplanes. And I couldn't find where this viewing site was. I didn't know where it was. I just drove around. And, and what I remember is... Um, I guess it was a gated area that wasn't locked. And so I thought, well, let's, let's go here. This looks like a good place to view airplanes. And so I took my sweet bride and our dog, an 85-pound black lab, and we just walked out into this field, and there were these big hills on either side. And I was like, I think, I think we're close to the airport. I think this will work. And then it happened. For the very first time in my life, I knew what it was to prostrate oneself. Because we began to hear something, and we looked up, and over the hill, which was not very far away, came a huge airplane, and I'll never forget, as it went over our heads, all of us, Mo included, our dog, <laughs> in the midst of that power and that force, we collapsed to the ground in great fear, reasonable fear. Um, if this had happened in more current era, post 9-11 era, I'm sure they would have taken us to jail for being where we were in that airport. I had no idea. I was, I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. But we literally prostrated ourselves. We fell down in fear and that roar, that power of a jet engine going over you, it was unbelievable. I remember it to this day. That captures a sense of what worship is supposed to be like. 
coming into the presence of one who is holy, who is powerful, and you feel your smallness and your insignificance, and you bow before him in all that he is. That's the imagery of worship that we're given in Genesis and by the prophet Isaiah. The language of prostrating oneself. And that worship is only rightly attributed to the one true God. Worship is to be directed to one. That is the Lord Himself. Blaise Pascal, mathematician and theologian, said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. That is what we were created for. That kind of worship. And that kind of worship, the Bible says, it humbles us, it restores us, it renews us, it reorders us, It reorients us. It does something to the human being when he rightly comes into the presence of the God that he worships. That's what we were made for. That's what we were created for. But as you know, something went very wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, the fall into sin and its corruption of every human person has now distorted us and perverted that worship of God. And here's where the depth of the sermon lies. Our worship is now broken. It's misdirected. It's misappropriated. We're worshiping the wrong things. We're worshiping created things. And what was intended by God to be the calling of humanity, we, every one of us, We've perverted it. It's crooked. It's broken. The loss of shalom in the garden that we talked about last week, everything is broken, even our worship. The first example of that was in Genesis chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. Listen to how worship of that holy God is perverted. It says, They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And there it is, the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower up to God. We've got a great idea. And this was the perversion and the distortion of worship. Later in Exodus chapter 20, you know that the Lord in in speaking to His people said, You shall have no other gods before Me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down. Prostrate yourself to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
So Genesis 11, we see the heart of humanity is to make a name for ourselves, to worship ourselves. Exodus 20, the Lord has to tell His own covenant people, don't worship created things. Don't look to those for hope, for power, for success, for salvation. And in all this, we learn that what John Calvin, one of the things he's known for saying, is that the human heart is an idol factory. Meaning, your heart and mine just produces idols. It makes false worship. It creates things to worship, things to look to other than God that all pervert His worship. And so we're not to glorify ourselves. We're not to worship idols. We're not to worship creatures or created things. In Romans chapter 1, you remember there that Paul says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. And in all that, in all those examples from Genesis, from Exodus, from Romans, you're seeing the Bible's testimony, our biblical worldview about worship is it is broken. It's backwards. And that's true in my heart. It's true in yours. We will worship created things, or said a little differently, you and I will worship. We will prostrate ourselves to idols, and maybe they're not carved eagles or sun, moon, and stars images that we bow down to. But we will bow down to the idols of our world. We will bow down in worship to win the favor of people. We will bow down with the great hope of having a relationship, even a boyfriend or a girlfriend, as if that's hope. We will worship those things. We will worship success, whether it's academic success for students, athletic success, We will worship money and make an idol of money. We will worship and make an idol of possessions, whether it's houses or cars or boats. We will worship sex and sexuality. We'll worship sports. We'll worship fitness. We can make an idol, the human heart can, out of anything looking to it for hope, looking to it for joy, looking to it for success. We can make an idol out of work. We can make an idol out of ministry. We can make an idol out of anything that offers us pleasure. That is how our worship is broken. We worship all the wrong things. We prostrate ourselves. We look for great hope in gifts and graces of God rather than He Himself as He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. Brian Fickert, in an article I read this week, says this, Every human is worshiping something, whether God, money, sex, power, fame, or something else. The term worship in this context doesn't mean just singing hymns on Sunday morning. Rather, we worship whatever we love the most. 
It's the magnet that has the greatest pull on our hearts. The question is not whether we worship, but what we worship. And whatever we worship, since it has captured our deepest affections and is the focus of our attention, since it consumes our energies and our passions, it is what we will become like. I want you to think about that. So, so when we talk about worship and redeeming our broken worship, I'm not talking about our one hour a week spent here. Now, this is a part of our public and corporate worship. But I'm talking about the larger view and the reformer's view that all of life is worship. Your life at home, your life at, at play, your life at work, all of that is supposed to be done as worship of the one true God. And it's all perverted. It's all broken. It's all twisted in every one of us. And so there is a calling upon us to redeem broken things. And first and foremost, the first thing to see made right is our worship. And living rightly with God's gifts and His graces, the blessings He's put in our lives, to make sure we're not prostrating ourselves to those created things, but that we're worshiping the one true God. When life and happiness and wholeness revolve around something other than God Himself, then you know that you're worshiping it. When your hopes are dashed, when you're depressed, when you're anxious because of some created thing or some hoped-for thing not going the way you want, and it crushes you, you know that you've been worshiping that thing. You've been making yourself prostrate before it, trying to win it and its favor, rather than worshiping the one true God. And every one of us does this. Every one of us. That kind of worship of created things, the worship of God's gifts and graces, instead of humbling us, instead of building us up and renewing us as proper worship does, it actually disintegrates us. We unravel in this world when we worship the wrong things. That kind of worship depletes us. It empties us because we're becoming like those things rather than like God Himself. Listen to these words from Psalm 115. He says, But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Do you hear what the psalm writer is saying? The nations are worshiping created things, and those idols that they fashion with their own hands, they can't talk. They're not living. They're not breathing. They're not real. And you're going to become like those. You will be empty-handed in the end if you're worshiping the wrong thing. But there's a third and final point to the sermon, 
And here's the good news. Here's the calling on every one of us. But the Lord has purposed and promised to redeem a people who will redeem His worship. That's what the Lord says He's doing in His church and through His people. Through these these people that He's shown grace and mercy and favor to, they will stop prostrating themselves to created things and to idols and will rightly approach Him with their worship. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus, at a time when He's being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That's actually His words to the woman at the well. That was the wrong context I just said. So the church, think of it like this. The people of God are a peculiar people. We're different. We're supposed to be different than everyone else in the earth. While everyone else finds something to worship and prostrate themselves to, we're the ones who God is at work in to say, no, 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 no. Everything in its proper order everything in its proper place. We worship the one true God. We enjoy His gifts, His blessings, and His benefits, but we don't worship those things or the hope of having those things. We worship God with our faith. We worship God with our repentance, all of which comes from the heart. And we do it privately when no one's watching. And we do it publicly when we gather together as the church. That's what God is doing in His church. He's redeeming His worship. He says that you and I can put things and have things in their proper structured order. Enjoy His gifts. Enjoy His graces. But we don't worship those. We worship Him, the giver of all that is good and all that is right. So the hard application, as you think about your weekly calendar, as you think about your life month to month, year to year, as you think about your checkbook, what do those things tell you about what you're prostrating yourself to? What are you worshiping? Where does your hope lie? Who is it that you're hoping you will become, that your family will become? As a part of the church, we want everyone to know what it is to prostrate themselves rightly before the one true God. Not to created things, not to idols of this life, not to the gifts and blessings and graces of God, but we worship God and God alone. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, this is the context of his temptation in the desert. Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And so consider your heart. We're to redeem broken things. First and foremost, our worship is broken. We will bow down and prostrate ourselves to anything that we think will bless us, will make us happy in this life. But the church does not bend its knee to anyone but Jesus, to God Himself. So if we're to redeem broken things, we'll start with that broken thing in us.
It's our own worship and how we've perverted it. But by God's grace, we can turn our attention heavenward and see that broken thing redeemed, to see it made more as it should be, as all of life is lived to the glory of God. Let's pray, and then we're going to prepare to come to the table. And let me remind you, as we come to the table, it is a beautiful time for renewal, to be reoriented and redirected, to confess that we have prostrated ourselves to the wrong things, but no more. We will prostrate ourselves before the one true and living God. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, we give you thanks for opportunities for renewal, to be restored, to be reoriented, to be redirected. And so, Lord, I pray, would you do that work in us? Maybe some of our children and youth are thinking through what they've prostrated themselves to. Maybe parents, grandparents, maybe singles. But Lord, we know and we confess we've gotten it all wrong. We've worshipped the wrong things. But Lord, work in us a desire to see that redeemed, to see renewal show itself by the power of your Spirit. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.